Hey everybody. If you're just joining us for the very first time, welcome to Grace Church. My name is Stephen. I'm the location pastor at Grace Church Norton, and we're in the final week of a series called This Means War, where we're talking about what the Bible refers to as spiritual warfare. And I always get a little worried when we when we talk about this subject in church because I find people take this in one of two main directions. Either they want nothing to do with spiritual warfare. It's kind of this idea of, I, I didn't sign up for a fight. I don't want to fight anybody. I didn't sign up for a battle. I stay away from scary movies and Ouija boards, so I, I don't want to hear about what the devil's trying to do in my life. Or there's the other side of it where if you've spent any time in church, you've probably met the little old church lady who's always talking about what the devil's up to, always saying what the devil's trying to get you to do or, or saying what the devil's trying to convince other people of. And it makes me want to ask her how she has all this insider info on what the devil's doing. Like maybe she should stop talking to the devil. You see, I, I think that there is a, a healthy side of spiritual warfare, a healthy way to deal with spiritual warfare. And it starts by simply acknowledging that there is a battle. If there's such thing as a battle for physical health or mental health, then why wouldn't there be a fight for our spiritual health? And even if you don't consider yourself a really spiritual person, your spirituality still affects you. And even if you don't believe in God, your relationship with God or lack of relationship with God still affects your life. And even if you don't believe in, in what I'd call sin, sin still affects your relationships and the direction of your life. And so in order to have any level of success in this battle, we have to acknowledge that we're in one. But the other truth that we need to adopt when it comes to this battle, if we want to have success in it, I want to share with us from the very top, and that's that God is actually bigger than Satan that God is stronger than the devil, that he's in far more control than the devil could even ever imagine. Jesus actually talks about this in John chapter 10. He says in verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. I love that line that he, God, is more powerful than anyone else. Because I think quite often when we think of good and evil, we think of them as opposing but equal forces. It's kind of like in Star Wars with the Force, that there's a, a light side and there's a dark side, but there's balance. But the Bible actually teaches a whole different paradigm, a whole different reality. That it starts with a God who is all-powerful, but is also all good. And he created everything that exists. And then there was one being in his creation that rebelled against him, whose goal was to get all of creation to also rebel against God. And they fought before God and the devil, and the devil lost badly. If you want to look that up, it's in Luke 10, 18. Jesus talks about uh, seeing Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Like God threw him fast, so fast from heaven that it was like a lightning bolt, that there was no competition, nothing whatsoever. That there was no worry of who was going to win. God won. He's stronger. He's bigger than Satan. And that's something we have to get around if we really want to experience victory. We have to lean into the God who is all powerful, but who also good news for us is all good. See, the Bible refers to followers of Jesus as sheep, but we follow a really powerful shepherd. In fact, our shepherd is called a number of things in scripture. He's called King, Lord, and Mighty One because he is a mighty Lord and King. 
But we as sheep, as followers of Jesus, are also called more than just sheep. We're called ambassadors, that we actually represent God and his kingdom. We're also called warriors and we're called good soldiers. And so when we follow Jesus, we're actually called to follow Jesus into this spiritual battle and onto this rescue mission towards the rest of humanity. We're not powerless or roleless in this battle. In fact, James wrote about this spiritual tug of war that happens in our soul, and he gave some advice to followers of Jesus. And this is what he says in chapter four, verse seven. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What I love there is that James actually writes some actionable steps for followers of Jesus. That he doesn't say, just let go, just hope that God does something. He'll just do all the battling. You have no role in this. He actually says, you have an active role to play. You have responsibilities in this battle. So humble yourself. That's action. And then resist the devil. And so that's what today's about. It's about our role and our responsibility in this spiritual warfare. And the good news when it comes to this battle is that God has actually equipped you for the battle. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. See, every superhero has a weapon or a tool that helps them in battle. Captain America has his shield. Thor has his hammer. Wonder Woman has all sorts of tools. She has like the lasso of truth. She has a, a sword and a shield. And then she has those metal bracelets that help her like block bullets and stuff. Batman has no powers, but he has a utility belt, which is basically his own superpower. And even like real life heroes in our lives have tools for the job. Firefighters have ladders and water hoses to put out fires. A good handyman is a good handyman because he has all the tools for the job. EMT workers have the ambulance with all the equipment in there. Like we understand the importance of being well equipped for what we're dealing with. So why wouldn't we think that God has equipped us? Nothing ever catches God off guard. He's not surprised by anything. Nothing ever occurs to God. And so, of course, he's equipped us well. And according to this verse, he's given us mighty weapons for this battle. And those aren't just weapons to help us in certain situations, but not others. They're actually good for all of life. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter actually says this, By God's divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. You are actually lacking nothing. You have everything that you need for living a godly life, but you also have everything that you need, every tool that you could possibly need for being successful in this battle against the devil and your own inner demons. And what's more, I love this, Peter says that as followers of Jesus, we have been given everything that we need for this godly living simply by coming to know Jesus. Like, I think that we, we tend to look at really spiritual people or people that we think are really mature in their faith as having something that we just must not have ourselves. Like they have this certain X factor in their lives or God poured out a little extra Jesus juice in their lives and that helped them become more spiritual, that helped them become a little bit more mature in their faith. But Peter says that we've actually all been given, as long as we chose to place our faith in Jesus, we've been given everything we need to live a God-honoring life. And so if we have what we need, what is it that we have? Well, verse four says this, 
Because of his glory and excellence, God has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. See, Peter says that after following Jesus, we become inheritors of these great promises, these great gifts from God. And these promises of God help us do two things. They help us share in the same nature as Jesus. They help us look more like Jesus, become more like him. But they also help us in times of temptation, in times of trouble, so that we can avoid corruption caused by human desires. And you might be wondering, well, how would a promise stop me from being corrupted by temptation? Well, if you were promised something by someone that you knew was good for it, like they could back the promise that they had and they're trustworthy, then why would you ever settle for a lesser promise? You see, the devil is always trying to offer us promises. He tries to offer us promises of hope or love or joy or peace in life, but they're lesser versions of the, the versions of hope and love and peace and joy than what God actually designed us to have. It's like if somebody gave you, like just bought you a brand new car and it ran on premium gasoline. And that same person said, not only am I giving you this car, I'm going to repay you for every time you have to fill the car up with gas. And so the first few times that you have that car, the first few times that you're filling it up, you're going to put the premium gas in there and think, man, this is awesome. This is such a deal. Like I get to, I'm getting repaid for this, but it would be tempting over time to start putting in regular gasoline because you don't want to actually have it cost you that much up front to, to put gas in the tank. Like regular gas costs less it's less expensive than premium. And if you put regular gas in the car, the car will still go, but it's not gonna go as efficiently, as effectively, as fast or as far as it was designed to go. And over time, that regular gas that the car wasn't designed to be fueled by is gonna cause worse and worse damage to the engine until the car cannot operate. You see, God offers a very particular type of love. It's unconditional. He offers a peace because he can actually give us peace. He's the prince of peace. He is like, he, he cornered the market on peace. That he can offer us joy that only comes from knowing our creator. And so Satan is, he's a promise maker, but God is a promise keeper. So trust the promise keeper. And so when we lean into God's promises in life, we're actually leaning into the promises of the God who can deliver those promises, but we're also fueled in our life by the very purposes and intention of God in our lives. So what are the tools that God has given us? What, what do these promises look like? Well, in Ephesians chapter six, this guy named Paul actually writes about some of the tools we have at our disposal. And he says in verse 11, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, like, wait, there's more. <laughs> Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. 
Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. See, these are the tools that we already have. So the question isn't, do we have what we need? It's, will we actually use what we already have? All these things that are mentioned are part of what are called God's armor. They're things that we already have available to us, but there's a command, there's an actionable thing with each of them. Paul writes, he says, put on all of God's armor, put on the belt of truth, put on peace, hold up the shield, put on salvation, take the sword of the spirit and pray in the spirit. You don't win battles passively. You need to take action and use the tools that God has given you. So maybe in your life, you don't have peace because you haven't been putting on peace by letting the word of God fill you with peace. Or maybe in your life, you're being haunted by the lies of the devil because you haven't put on truth by listening to Jesus who claimed himself to be truth itself. Or maybe in your life, you're constantly fighting with doubts because you never hold up the shield of faith and stepped out in faith and allow God to prove himself of being worthy of your faith and your trust. See, it's not through the idea of fellowship or studying our Bible that we persevere through different difficulties in our lives. It's not through the idea of anything that we persevere through those things. It's by taking action on the things that God has given us, by using the tools that God has given us that we're able to fight back, that we're able to resist the devil's temptation. It's through the act of fellowship, the act of biblical study, the act of worship, the act of prayer, the act of giving, and the act of listening to the Holy Spirit's voice they were able to resist the fiery arrows of the devil. See, a sword is an awesome decoration on a wall, but a sword was designed to be swung. And an arrow makes for a cool tattoo design, but an arrow was meant to be shot. And a shield is cool on like a family crest, but a shield does not protect anybody unless it's held up. In that same way, your Bible was meant to be opened so that God can speak into your life. Your church family was meant to be like a real family to help you go through life with you, even in difficult times, not just to help you get through a Sunday morning and your alone time on your way to work or before the kids wake up. Yes, it could be filled with white noise, but it's also an opportunity for you to actually talk to your creator. So you have what you need, but you need to use what you have because you have more than you think. So use what God has given you because he's equipped you well for the battle ahead. And I realize that there's some battles in life that feel really overwhelming. When I graduated from college, I had $30,000 of student loans. That changes the whole dynamic there. But I had $30,000 of student loans. And so for me at that time, I I felt like that was an insurmountable battle. I, I felt like, and my wife felt like, Like that was the biggest thing that would stop us. It was the biggest anchor that would stop us from sailing wherever God would want us to go. So we decided that we're going to put everything we had every month towards paying that off. And we didn't have a lot either. I felt like my first few years working somewhere along the line in life, I must have signed like an oath of poverty without realizing it. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Like, I I don't know what document I signed that stopped me from being able to make more money to, to actually pay off more of my loans. But it just felt like something was stopping me from making more. But we decided, you know what, we're going to be faithful in this because we believed that that's what God would want us to do to pay off that debt. And so it was after several months of doing that, that I actually inherited a car that was worth what my student loans were. And that was awesome. 
but the car was the nicest thing that I had ever owned and still the nicest thing that I've ever owned in my life. And so we ended up deciding after kind of not being sure what what we should do about it, we sold the car, paid off the loans. And, And it's great when God shows up in those ways. It's great when God will perform like a miracle in our life or do something that makes the the battle go away. But the cool thing in that story is that even if God hadn't provided that car, we still would have been debt free today because we had decided to use what God had given us in the moment, even though it didn't feel like a lot for his purposes. And we ended up finding victory there. You see, this will work if you choose to work it. And that doesn't mean that you won't encounter temptations or difficulties or challenges in life. But it does mean that if you lean into the promises of the promise keeper of God, you're leaning into the promises of the God who is victorious over every single challenge, every spiritual opponent that you could face. And that's the beauty of this, that we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Check out Romans 8. Romans 8, starting in verse 31, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. We're not fighting to live a God-honoring life in hopes that God will accept us. We're not fighting for a God-honoring life in hopes that we won't be condemned. In fact, as followers of Jesus, all the accusations and the condemnations of the devil hold no weight for us. Because God is the final, has the final say in what matters, what is real. And he not only has given us everything that we need for living a godly life, but he also has given us right standing with himself and has caused us to belong to him. That we're not fighting in order to earn a sense of belonging to God. We fight from a place of already belonging to God, which makes it so we don't have to fear the difficulties in life. Like what if, if I fail, then God's going to disown me? No. God already calls you his own, so I'm fighting from a place of belonging, a place of security. And then Paul continues in Romans chapter 8. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecution or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. See, even though we belong to God, the enemy will do everything possible to get us to stop believing that God has already won a victory. He'll send things like trouble or calamity or persecution or hunger, whether that's physical hunger or hunger for things that would dishonor God. He'll send destitution or danger to make us doubt God's control, or he'll even try to get us to fear death. But as much pressure as he might bring, nothing can remove us from God's hand. So Paul writes, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. 
See, we fight from a place of victory, not for a sense of victory. We're, the battle's not all on us. It's not, not all up to us, but we do need to lean on the promise keeper. We need to lean on the God who brought victory by conquering the power of sin and death. But Romans 8 isn't over. He continues and he says, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think it's so crazy that the writer, Paul, says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Like, that's big. Because if anybody had the right to be convinced that he was separated from God's love, it would have been Paul. See, Paul started out as a a direct opponent to the church. Uh, He was a religious zealot who was killing Christians, who was persecuting Christians. Then finally he had this conversion moment where he gave his life to Jesus and he started spreading the good news of Jesus everywhere. And you would think that like now that he's decided to join Jesus's team, God would make everything easy for him. But instead, he encountered persecution and difficulty everywhere he went. Like the the things that happened to him, he was imprisoned, he was tortured, he was doubted, he was shipwrecked. And then finally, he's writing this letter to this church in Rome. Rome, which was a city that he always desired to go to, to preach to, to, to love on, show them the love of Jesus. And he never got there except when he was finally imprisoned in Rome. So he saw the city that he loved, but he could only look at it from behind bars. And yet he says, I'm convinced. Like, even though there's all these difficulties, even though my circumstances don't look like God is lining everything up in a way that would make life easy, I don't have to doubt his love for me because Paul looked at Jesus's sacrifice for him as proof of God's love. And he looked at Jesus's resurrection as proof that even if his circumstances didn't look victorious, Jesus had won ultimate victory over every spiritual obstacle that Paul possibly could have dealt with. And so all he had to do was actually lean on the promise keeper, lean on the God who is victorious. You know, I think there's some of us who maybe you've been waiting for God to step in, have some sort of grand miracle or this this huge intervention in your life and in in a battle that you've felt ill-equipped to deal with for a long time. But maybe God is actually just waiting for you to trust him and then use the tools that you've been given because God has equipped you for the battle. James James chapter 2 says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that type of faith save anyone. See, it's time to put on the armor. It's time to start praying. It's time to start opening up your Bible. It's it's time to start engaging with other followers of Jesus. It's time to start putting your faith to work. Like, look, faith works, but faith works. So you need to work your faith. Or maybe you're listening to this or watching this and you've been fighting this battle trying to earn God's approval, hoping that if you do good enough, 
if you win enough battles, God will accept you, that God will love you enough to stop all of the difficult circumstances in life, to stop all the temptation, to stop all the the challenges in life. And I want you to know that your circumstances don't determine whether or not God loves you, that you don't have to fight to try to earn God's approval. You're not fighting to hopefully earn God's love, to earn his acceptance, that once you place your faith in Jesus, that you are accepted by God and that you're drafted onto the, the side in the spiritual battle that is already one ultimate victory. So all you have to do day after day after day is choose to take up the battle armor that God has given you and lean into his promises as he helps you become more and more like Jesus. So maybe, maybe your story is that you've been fighting battles and you keep on losing and you're wondering why. And I want you to know the first step in overcoming any of the temptations, the difficulties in life, the spiritual opposition is to give your life to the one who already won the victory. Like if you're tired of losing that same battle over and over and over again, your first step is Jesus. And this is what I want you to know about Jesus, that Jesus lived a perfect life so that he would be an example to you and me of what it would look like if somebody lived their entire life in connection with God. And then he died on a cross for our sin. Sin is disobedience to God and selfishness towards other people. We're all guilty of it, me included. He died unjustly on that cross, but then he rose from the dead to conquer the power of sin and death so that your life doesn't have to be narrated by the losses that you have in these spiritual battles. Your life doesn't have to be narrated by the the forces that you feel like are are controlling you, the the cyclical behavior that you have, the habit that you can't get over. Your life doesn't have to be narrated by any of those anymore, that your life can be narrated by the God that scripture calls the author and perfecter of our faith, that he can start writing a new story in your life because he's the promise keeper, he's good for it, and he's trustworthy. And so if you want to follow Jesus, I simply want you to pray in the quietness of this moment, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the fact that you've won ultimate victory, that this battle isn't completely riding on us, but we do have a role to play. And our role is to use the tools that you've given us. Even if we don't think that we have a lot, we have more than what we think. And so, God, I ask that you would fill any of us who have been dealing with a battle that we feel like we've been losing to the point where we've kind of stepped out of our active role, that we would re-engage that battle. I ask that you would give us the courage, the boldness to re-engage the fight, that you would help us use the tools that you've given us. And, And if we're not sure what tools you've given us, to actually help see what you've made available to us so that we can fight back in this spiritual battle, that we can find some victory. And God, I ask that regardless of where any of us are at in our faith, that we continue to lean in to you. Trust that you're the promise keeper and not trust the promises of the devil who's just a promise maker, but he can't, he's not good or trustworthy. He's not good enough to, to make good on any of his promises and he's not trustworthy enough to be trusted in those promises. So I ask that you would help us simply lean into you, lean into your promises, lean into your goodness. And remember that you are bigger 
than our enemy. You're bigger than our circumstances. You're bigger than our struggle. And I ask that you would help us be filled with confidence by that fact. Amen.